Thanks for joining us through the Crossbridge Podcast. We hope this message speaks to you wherever you may be on your spiritual journey and helps you take your next step of growth in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Crossbridge or to speak with one of our ministry team members, please visit crossbridge.church. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. Yet you taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, but the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Hey, welcome to Crossbridge. My name is Kevin Hancock and I'm our Peru campus pastor. And with uh, Pastor Kevin Donahoe, our lead pastor, away at uh, Nazarene Youth Conference with about 8,000 teenagers, including uh, about 29 or so from uh, our own Crossbridge Church, um, I have the pleasure of sharing with you today. And so um, I, uh, I'm glad to be here and welcome to all of you in Morris and Peru and online who are turning in. Hey, if you just noticed the video, the picture of that little boy, I don't know if you you caught it, but there was an outhouse uh, behind behind him in some of that video. And the little boy in the outhouse, it reminded me of a story of a little boy that he and his family together had moved out of the city and into the country. And the little boy didn't like it at all. They had to use uh, for facilities an outhouse. And it was hot in the summer, cold in the winter, and it stunk all the time. The outhouse was positioned uh, on the banks of this little creek by the house. And the little boy determined in his mind that when nobody was looking one day, he was going to push that outhouse into the creek, get rid of it. And so that's just what he did. One day, when nobody else was watching, He just went out to that outhouse and he just pushed it into the creek and with the waters having swelled from the rains, it just floated right on down from the current. Well, later that evening, the little boy's father said, "Uh, son, after dinner, we're going to the woodshed. The little boy knew that that meant he was in trouble and was going to receive a spanking. 
And so the little boy dared to ask, why, dad? And the dad said, son, somebody tipped over the outhouse. And I believe that someone was you, wasn't it? And the little boy with his uh, face downcast, he, he said, yes, dad, it was me. He thought for a minute and then he said to uh, his father, he said, dad, I learned in school not long ago that George Washington, when he was a little boy, he chopped down his dad's cherry tree, but he told the truth about it and he didn't get in trouble. And the dad looked back at his son and he said, son, something tells me that when George Washington chopped down his dad's cherry tree, his dad wasn't in that cherry tree. (laughs) You know, one person's uh, wrongdoing can cause an entire mess for somebody else. And, and, and the story that we're looking at today, the story of, of King David's wrongdoing, it, it creates a mess for so many others. This is really a, a sad, sad story. L- listen to, to how it takes place from Second Samuel chapter 11. Listen to the first four verses. It says, in the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, his army's commanding officer. He sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged the city of Rabbah. But King David, he remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and so David sent word to someone to find out about her. The man returned and said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. This, again, is is such a sad story. For this is David. Do you remember young David, the the little boy that was anointed by God? The spirit came upon David. He was to be the chosen next king of Israel. David listened to God. He earned the people's trust. He followed God. And as David went through some of the many trials that he faced before he would sit on the throne, David learned to wait upon the Lord and his character was being forged by God. And so when we come to this story where David falls into this sexual temptation, oh, it's, it's so painful to hear. Sadly, this isn't the end of the story. If you go on to verse 5, we're told that Bathsheba sends word to King David. She's pregnant. And so in this moment, David, the wheels begin to turn. What must I do in the midst of my wrongdoing? Well, David begins to form a plot. He sends word to Joab, his commanding officer, and calls uh, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, calls him in back to Jerusalem, back to the palace from where he is at, out fighting the enemies in the king's army. 
And so Uriah, uh, at, at his beckoning, he comes back and he meets with King David. And King David basically says to him, Uriah, oh, thank you for all that you do to serve us. I just wanted to give you the opportunity to come home and just relax for a little bit. So go home, spend the night with your wife. And uh, David was hoping and thinking, well, this would fix the problem which David had caused. David had tipped the outhouse and thought, well, maybe this will cover up what I had done. Uh, Unfortunately for David, at least, Uriah was such a man of integrity that even though David had said, you go back to your home and and rest in your own bed and and enjoy uh, the company of your wife, Uriah refused to do that. In fact, what he did is we're told that he just slept that night at the walls uh, of the city or actually by the, the palace doors. And so the next day, King David hears that Uriah didn't go home. His plot had been foiled. And so he called Uriah back again and said, why didn't you go home? And Uriah said, hey, my men, my friends are out serving and fighting on the battlefield. How how dare I um, take such comforts and enjoyments uh, while my friends are on the, the battle lines? And so David begins, you know, to think, oh my goodness, what do I need to do to cover up the wrong that I have already done? And so he decides to get Uriah drunk, thinking, well, tonight he'll go back home. But again, Uriah sleeps by the palace doors. And so now David is thinking, we've got to take this to the next level. And so one more time, he contacts the commanding officer, and he said, here's the plan. He said, I'm going to send Uriah back into battle. I want you to put him at the, um, at the front of the battle lines where the fighting is fiercest. And just at that moment when you're engaging the enemy, David said, I want you to pull all the troops back. That way, Uriah will certainly be killed. And that's exactly what happened. After that, David probably is thinking to himself, hey, problem solved. Nobody will even know what has become of that. We're told that he took Bathsheba to be his wife. But God knew, even though nobody else knew, God knew what David had done. And so God sends the prophet and the prophet Nathan comes to David and basically calls David out. He says, this is what you have done and God sees your sin. Sin. It's a three-letter word, but in our culture, it's it's almost become a four-letter word. Do you know that that word sin is used over 400 times in the Bible? But today in our Western culture, it's become rather taboo. The the word sin, it, it literally means to miss the mark. Think of an archer shooting an arrow, aiming for a particular mark or bullseye. Today in our culture, we're not even shooting, uh, aiming at the same bullseye. We have an entire different target, some one from another. It used to be that, that we could all agree that the Ten Commandments or that the Bible was authoritative, authoritative but, but today that's not the case. People might say to us, hey, don't, don't call me a sinner. Don't call what I'm doing sin because what you may see as truth or right, I don't necessarily in my background see that as truth or right. I'm not bound to your standards. I'm not even aiming for the same 
target. Romans chapter 3, it says this. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our very nature is sinful. Certainly even the most sinful of of people who do not walk with God. We're, We're capable of doing good things, of acts of kindness. But in our nature, we are sinful from birth, the scripture says. We cannot hit the mark the bullseye of of an abundant life, of the eternal life, of the good life that God has created us to. And so we need someone, a savior to help us to hit the mark, to find the life that God has for us to live. Here's David. Here's David who had been empowered with the spirit of God to faithfully um, point the way to God and to lead others in this kingdom. And yet in this moment of weakness, he falls short. Now, if you've been keeping up and reading the story, you know that, that David's predecessor on the throne, King Saul, he wasn't a good king at all. In fact, the way that, that Saul led and, and by his very character, he pointed out a God who was cruel and greedy and jealous. And of course, that's, that's not who our God is at all. And so because of the character of King Saul, because he did not do what was right in God's eyes, you may remember if you read that, that God said, it's time to find a new king. And so young David is anointed king. And while King Saul was certainly greedy and, and jealous and cruel in so many ways. Here is David who actually commits adultery, uh, uses the, the military and tax dollars of Israel for his own personal gain, plotted and killed this defenseless man. And yet, and yet David goes down in the, the recording of the scriptures as a man after God's own heart. How can that be? Look at what the scriptures say both about Saul and about King David. 1 Samuel chapter 13, it talks about King Saul's reign and and God says, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and approved, appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. He's talking to Saul. So, so was David any better than Saul? Uh, apparently there is a clear distinction. First Kings chapter 15 verse 5, as they're looking back on King David's reign, long after this story of uh, David and Bathsheba took place, the writer says, for David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. What's, what's the difference between these two leaders who committed such um, heinous crimes, sinning against God and against others? Catch this. This is important. You see, the difference between David and Saul It wasn't in the amount of sins or the degree of their sins, but rather how they responded to God 
in light of their sin. In light of their sin, how they responded to God. Saul's heart, he continually hardened his heart to the word of God. But David, David repented. You know that word repent, it basically means to to take a U-turn, to turn around, to turn and go in the opposite direction. If you're walking in sin, if you're disobeying God, if you're refusing to listen to his voice and engage where the spirit is leading, when you hear God call you to repent, you turn around and you go in the direction that God is calling. David In the midst of his sin, he heard the voice of the Lord through the prophet Nathan saying, what you did was wrong. And what you did brought about death and brokenness and grief, not only in the hearts of those around you, but it's killing you as well, David. Listen listen to David's heart. When he cries out to the Lord, it comes to us in Psalm 51. And you heard the little boy on the video at the beginning of this message. You heard him read parts of this psalm. But I want you, if you would, to just close your eyes and listen to the words of King David in response to God's calling out sin. David says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from sin. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what was evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, God, the joy of your salvation." Notice David's clarification there that his sin was against God, against you only. That's not to say that David didn't acknowledge uh, the pain that he caused uh, Bathsheba's family. Rather, what David was saying was that, God, the way that I live my life in the lower story, the way that I treat one another, how I live when people are watching and when they're not watching, It matters to our relationship and what's going on in this upper story of what you are doing, God. So listen to what David says in the same psalm as he talks about what's at the core of repentance. David cries out, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or or a devoted and disciplined spirit within me. You don't delight, God, in empty sacrifice, or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in rote burnt offerings, or I would have brought them. So my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart to you, God, will I give. You see, confession and genuine repentance, it's not necessarily about saying the right words or doing the right, you know, kind of things, um, going to um, just kind of say uh, words that uh, are some kind of formula. That's not what repentance is about. You see, confession is, it's about the heart. It's about uh, humbling ourselves before God and saying, I'm sorry, God, I have sinned against you. I, I have missed the mark completely. Forgive me. 
He, he says, listen to this. Listen to how confession and repentance in David's prayer, it, it then drives him into the future and the way that he leads others. David says, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I'll teach others, transgressors like me. I'll teach them your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Open my lips, Lord, and with my mouth, I will declare your praise. You see, David wasn't willing to just settle for confessing his sin and getting it off his shoulders. He wasn't just settling for, you know, unloading on someone else. And David wasn't willing to just settle for God's forgiveness as huge and as costly as that was. David wasn't, in fact, willing to settle for just having his heart cleansed before God. David wasn't willing to settle for anything less than the mission of God. To, to be able to, to take the grace and the mercy and the compassion that God had given to David and share that with others. You see, God brought David's sin to light and David was forced to make a decision. On the one hand, do I genuinely confess my sin? Do I repent? Do I ask for mercy and compassion? Do I trust that God really is loving, faithful, merciful, and good, and, and longs to forgive me and to restore me? David had a decision to make. Do I do that or, or do I just keep pretending Pretending that everything is okay. You know, we just kind of come to church and we go through the motions and we pretend when our sin calls us out. I'd like to close with a story that maybe hits home for those of us who may call Ottawa, Illinois home. In the city of Ottawa, at the northwest corner of Clinton and West Jefferson Street, there's this rather small and unassuming life-size statue of this young lady. The statue is meant to serve as a reminder and a tribute to the countless radium girls. You see, in the 1920s, there were hundreds of young women who worked at the radium dial company in Ottawa. And they were tasked with putting um, tiny strokes of glow-in-the-dark paint stripes onto these itty-bitty little wristwatch and clock dials. And then later on during World War II, these little paint strokes, glow-in-the-dark um, paint strips would be painted on to um, airplane, uh, war airplane, military plane dials. And these young girls would use small um, camel-haired paintbrushes to paint the necessary strokes onto the dials. They would lick the tips of the brushes between each brush stroke with the, the paint on, on their lips. They would dabble it onto their lips and into the paint and stroke. And then again, dabble onto their lips, dabble into the paint and stroke. Unfortunately, the glow from the paint came from radium which is an extremely radioactive toxin. The, the ladies were unknowingly exposing themselves to a deadly compound in the paint. 
Reports started piling up only years, in some cases decades later, uh, of the enduring long and agonizing illnesses with crippling sarcomas, crumbling jawbones, crushed spines, amputated limbs, and all kinds of other maladies. In many cases, the result was death. There's no telling how many hundreds, maybe even thousands of women down through the line were tragically killed because of dabbling in the paint. Fast forward to 2006 and in Ottawa, a statue of this young lady that you'll see on the screen, a statue was placed as a reminder. When I'd first moved to the area about a year ago, I happened to notice the, uh, the monument as I was driving by. And so I got out of the car and just kind of walked up to this statue of this young lady. And, and as she was just standing there, I noticed that in her left hand, which was to her side, she had three paintbrushes, the instruments of toxic death. But in her right hand, what she was looking at, carefully examining, was a, a withering flower, a bruised tulip. And I just thought to myself, you know, we have sins and the tools of sins that we often use, uh, which can just destroy our lives. But in the other hand, on the other hand, God calls us to life. He calls us to let go of that which might consume us, which might kill us, destroy us. And so I just want to mention to you, as we get ready to wrap up here, you know, we can continue to dabble in sin. Whether that sin is sexual sin, whether that sin is is something that nobody else knows about, whether it's a sin of gluttony, of laziness, of ongoing anxiety and not listening and trusting the Lord, whether it's something that we've done and continue to do, or whether it's something that we don't do. Sometimes the the Lord might just be speaking to us and saying, take courage, go after that. And we say, no, Lord. Whatever that sin looks like for us, can I just say to you, we're missing the mark. But we don't have to be stuck in sin. We don't have to continue to plot, to think of how do we need to continue to hide this, to tell a different narrative than what is true. We have before us a choice, life or death. The Lord is calling us today, calling us to repent, to turn around, to confess our sins to the Lord. Listen to what Romans chapter 6 says. It says, the wages of dabbling in sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in union with Christ Jesus, our Lord. So will you continue to dabble in sin? Or will you find freedom by confessing your sins, repenting, and and finding the unfailing love of God, his mercy and compassion, not just for your own sake, but so that you might, like King David, reflect 
the very genuine, loving, compassionate heart of God to one another, pouring out the grace upon others that God first poured out upon you. Hey, as our campus pastor prepares to come to lead you in this time of response, I'd just like to leave you where we started with a question. Have you tipped over any outhouses lately? Maybe now we might know how to faithfully respond. Thanks again for joining us for the Crossbridge podcast. The mission of Crossbridge is to lead others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'd love to partner with you on your spiritual journey. So please let us know how we can come alongside you and support you and pray for you by visiting crossbridge.church.